This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Outline World Dispatch. Thursday, July 13th, 2017. I'm Raya Kamir. Today on The Dispatch. Jeffy Haza on Spotify. I think it's less about artists being not being real in a sort of firmamental sense. And Derek Gallo on a lawsuit involving a monkey. Naruto can't benefit financially from his work. He's a monkey. And William Turton on loading spinners. If net neutrality gets rolled back, um, you'll be seeing a spinner a lot more often. Here's a dispatch. Culture. A report last year from the website Music Business Worldwide suggested that Spotify might be engaged in some shady business. According to the report, the company enlists producers to make music under pseudonyms and pays the producers a flat fee for their music as a way to avoid paying royalties. This week, the rumor bubbled up again, and Jeffy Haza is here with the details. So, Jeff, what exactly is going on with Spotify? So what it looks like is Spotify is including artists who aren't necessarily real in the sense that they're not major label recording artists and they're not publishing the music on Spotify under their actual production names. And they can include those tracks on their playlist for things like ambient study music or easy listening and things like that. Um, The reason why people seem to be upset about this, or at least that there's interest in it, is the fact that Spotify appears to be doing this as a way to lessen their royalty-paying obligations, or at least from what one person suggested, to influence their negotiations with record labels when it comes to licensing fees. Now, I should mention Spotify completely denies these claims. According to a rep, they say, we do not and have never created fake artists and put them on Spotify playlists. So if these are real people making real songs, whether or not you think the songs are good, um, why why are they being referred to as fake artists? Um, that's an interesting question. I think that might have more to do with kind of the general terminology that was used in a lot of the early reports because it's not computer-generated music, right? It's These are real people who probably do this as a job professionally in other realms. I think I think it's less about artists being not being real in a sort of firmamental sense as much as it's like, you know, if I'm listening to a playlist that has Novo Talos' song Longevity, which has been streamed 17.2 million times, I can't go and look up Novo Talos and he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. There's no artist landing page with more tracks than just that. And it sort of brings up a point that I think you've written about before, which is that for a lot of consumers, playlists are the sort of end-all and be-all of consuming music nowadays. So Mm -hmm. does it really matter where the music comes from? Um, I mean, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I think with streaming in general, so many questions have arisen that I don't think anyone could have anticipated 10, 15 years ago. So maybe in the future we'll all be listening to Novo Talos and not even care. But I think right now we're kind of in that weird intermediary phase where there are expectations in one reality and the reality of the music world is changing at the same time. 
Listen, as long as Novo Talos is getting paid, it seems <laughs> fine to me. Yeah, shout out Novo Talos. Culture. PETA is fighting for a monkey's right to copyright. On Wednesday, judges for the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals heard arguments about whether or not a copyright can be attributed to an animal, as well as who's allowed to file a lawsuit on an animal's behalf. It makes no sense to allow a monkey to enforce a copyright suit, but if you're going to do that, it's equally absurd to deny a monkey written notice of a right to intervene or join in the lawsuit. It, it, it's, uh... Well, Neruda wouldn't need written notice. Uh, maybe the other macaque monkeys in Indonesia would. No, that, that's, that's precisely right, Your Honor. Neruda might be required under the statute to provide written notice to other monkeys. At the center of it all is a macaque monkey in Indonesia named Naruto. PETA claims Naruto took a selfie, although even the exact identity of the monkey has been called into question by lawyers involved with the case. PETA's own president has said publicly that the monkey was a, a, a female. We don't even know which monkey we're talking about. And PETA, who claims no relationship whatsoever with Naruto, is, uh, has no power to say if they've even got the right monkey. So that's another standing issue. Wednesday's arguments focused on PETA's qualifications for representing the monkey. But the hearing also touched on some other things. Is Naruto able to file complaints against people who violate the potential copyright? If PETA wins the case, what rights could possibly be passed down to Naruto's offspring? And how responsible is the photographer who gave Naruto the camera? Angela Dunning, representing photographer David Slater, said that the monkey would be unable to benefit from the copyright seeing as he is a monkey. Naruto can't benefit financially from his work. He's a monkey. Um, PETA would like to benefit financially from his work, but that's uh, a next friend issue that Your Honor has already identified. The court is expected to make a decision this week. The future. Hey, William. Hey, what's up? So I saw these loading spinner icons all over the internet yesterday. Can you tell me what that was about? Sure. So yesterday was the Net Neutrality Day of Action. Basically, it's a campaign by a lot of internet companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, and internet activists in order to pressure the SEC and its commissioners to not roll back the Obama-era regulation um, that is net neutrality. And what's the significance of the spinner? So the spinner is basically kind of pushing this idea that if net neutrality was rolled back, internet service providers would be able to prioritize different websites or services. And so, you know, if one website didn't pay an ISP some premium charge or something like this, your connection to that website would be slower. And so the idea behind the spinning icon is that if net neutrality gets rolled back, as it seems like the FCC is going to do, um, you'll be seeing the spinner a lot more often. So, so what sorts of websites are participating? The participation is actually kind of low. You might remember a few years ago when there was this disastrous copyright legislation called SOPA and PIPA. A lot of these internet companies took huge stances on them, like Google put this huge black banner all over their logo. And today, if you look on Google or Facebook, you won't really see anything about it. Now, their public policy blogs are 
saying that we need to protect the open internet and that rolling back net neutrality as Trump's FCC wants to do would be bad. But it's not kind of this big showing. Uh, Twitter has a promoted hashtag, but that's kind of the most you'll see. So how hopeful are you if the showing wasn't as significant as it could have been? What do you think is the next step? What, What comes after this? The sad reality of it is that the current commissioner of the FCC, uh, Ajit Pai, is kind of hellbent on rolling back these regulations. The Trump FCC doesn't really care. And, you know, these huge Internet companies that have millions of dollars to spend on lobbying and buying influence really don't want net neutrality uh, because it's kind of killing a revenue stream for them. And also a lot of these ISPs are now buying content companies. They want to deliver you the internet and also the content. So if they could prioritize their content over some other companies, they could have an edge. So there's obviously, it seems like, a lot at stake here. Right. There's a lot at stake, and it's fundamental to how we use the internet. Uh, This principle that the way we connect to every website being the same is just something that we take for granted and I think we'd realize how big the mistake was once, you know, this regulation gets rolled back. So what what do people do? Yesterday was a day of action. What comes next? What should people be doing? I mean, the most effective way would be to call your senator, call your representative, um, and tell them how you feel about it. It's something that actually works. You can get in touch with the FCC. They're, you know, have comments open. But I think the most effective thing to do would be to contact your representative. So this stuff is pretty dense. Where can someone who doesn't know a whole lot about the subject go for for more information? You know, there's a lot of nonprofit activist groups that are campaigning on behalf of these big Internet companies and, you know, helping organize petitions and spreading information about it. Um, A really great group is called Fight for the Future, and they have a website, uh, battleforthenet.com, that's kind of working on saving net neutrality. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Me too. That's it for The Dispatch. Just so you know, we do this four times a week, from Monday to Thursday. You can subscribe and get this show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to such things. I'm Raya Kamer. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday.